And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did not turn away from iniquity. For the, I'm sorry, and did turn away from iniquity. <clears throat> Verse 7, For the priest's lips shall keep knowledge, and they shall seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way, ye have caused many to stumble at the law, Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and to him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, and receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. And did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord, God of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them? Or, where is the God of judgment? You may be seated. Greetings in the name of Jesus. It's a blessing and a privilege to be here again. As I was sitting here, there's a lot of memories went through my mind as I think of my father being ordained about four months after I was born, so I just remember sitting here in the front rows uh, with dad or up here and maybe turning my head around as a shy little boy and everybody could see, see me. Somewhere that shyness turned around, I guess, as I got older. 
But I, I think of the memories of, of being here and being a part of a youth group of 70 young people, being part of youth advisors there. Um, and then I had to think of sitting in the room here this morning and Glenn Miller being there. We were in a support group together and we spent many hours in the bake shop up till midnight sometimes. And I don't think any of us really dreamt of being together in the ministry like we are today. I want to thank you as a church. There's something about the church here that um, the, I want you to see outside of yourselves a little bit. As I look at the congregation here, I think of our time spent in El Salvador, the church here sending us there and what that has done for our experience. And then the church sending us to Washington County. And I think about the Cornerstone Church and how much it has reached out. And so there's a lot bigger picture than what you see here this morning. There are many lives that have been touched. Many have been reached because of how you have opened your hands and reached out to others. And then I think of the involvement two weeks ago as we had our annual ministers meeting here in this area, how some of you have put in a lot of time there. I don't think you realize some of the meetings that happened there and how that has reached into other countries in our missions and how it touched and revived leaders among us. And God bless you for that. Two weeks ago, Stan Nisley was here and preached about the qualifications of a bishop. The title that I was given this morning is The Leadership Rule of a Bishop. Now, some of you and some of us maybe at times do not like the word bishop. It is used in the scripture, but as we look at the word bishop, you know, some of us might prefer lead pastor. Or as we look at bishop, we look at, at the word overseer, administrator, shepherd. And I am addressing this subject this morning in preparation for the ordination here in a couple weeks. And as I looked at the rule of a bishop, of an overseer, you know, I was ordained bishop here in 2014, and I think Raymond King said one of the rules of a bishop there's, there's something about being a part of a team. There's not really that hard work or that big burden as we work together as a team. But there's one thing of a bishop is all those little things add up. As an overseer, as you look over and you, you sort of keep things together. And I, as I have preached... At ordinations, there's one thing that stands out as we look at the rule of a bishop. How do you define our rule? I find interesting that the scripture addresses the character of the man, who we are more than what we do. And I think that should be a lesson for us as leaders, as brothers and sisters that God is interested in who we are. 
It is what we are, who we are affects what we do. And so, who we are in Christ affects how we operate, how we administrate, how we see God affects what we do this week. And so, as I look at the leadership rule, and I especially think of the spiritual supervisor of a overseer, someone with a vision that is looking ahead, that is looking forward, someone with a church vision of insight, foresight. An overseer will gauge decisions on the impact that it will have on a congregation in the future. And as you looked at two weeks ago in 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office, the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. And go, Paul goes on to list qualifications of the bishop and his wife. There has been this discussion, who was Paul talking to? That he's saying that the office of a bishop, that he desires a good work. Were these people just ready to be leaders and ready to, ready to lead out? And Paul had to say, now wait a minute. Yes, you can be leaders, but this is the qualifications of being a leader. Now, in our culture, maybe, maybe there should be something there to encourage us that we do want to lead, that we want to be where God has called us to be. In Titus 1.7, we also see the qualifications of a bishop. And again, my, my emphasis here this morning is who we are in Christ. And as we are right, we do right. And as you look at that word overseer, it also has a connotation of, of an inspection or an inspector. You know, 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That word day of visitation is the same one used as overseer or bishop. And so there's something there about the overseer, the inspection of, of looking over are things functioning well? There are many passages that I could turn to as I think of instructions for leadership. I have chosen to look at Malachi 2 and, and look at God's word to the leaders, especially to the priests here in chapter 2 as we keep our Bibles open to Malachi chapter 2. We see God's instructions here. And we see that God addresses, there's a lot of negatives here, but there is also some positives. And I like to turn some of these negatives into some positives. As God addresses the issue here to the priests or the leaders, it says here in, in verse 2, if ye will not hear... If ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name. 
And so the first point that I'd like to look at here is that of hearing God. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. There's something about hearing the voice of God. I don't think that God makes it hard for us to be heard. I think sometimes we make it hard to hear God. We want God to show up in the time slot that we have for Him, maybe five, ten minutes, and He's supposed to speak to us. And somehow we're supposed to hear the voice of God. I think God wants us to hear Him. Romans talks about, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The other point that I have here is for the role of a leader to give glory to God. Here in verse 2 again it says, to give glory unto my name. I had a call warning soon after I was ordained. There's a man came up to me and said, I'm convinced that bishops get their own way every time. You know, bishops run the church however they want to. Is that true? And I had to ask myself that question. As a business owner, I'm used to telling people what to do. As a leader in the church, how do I operate? Is it about Wayne? Is it about appearance? Or is it about giving glory to God? And God is telling the priests, the leaders here, you're to bring glory unto my name. That is why I put you as leaders. And so, so often we respond in the flesh. And we want things done our way. But as we look at and we see God for who He is, and we have a proper view of who God is, I believe we will bring honor and glory to Him. And so my encouragement is whatever calling you have here today, may it be in leadership, may it be in parking cars, may it be ushers, may it be teachers. I have seen and heard of men in all those positions bring people to the Lord. When you park cars, it isn't just a matter of parking cars, but you see people's faces. When you usher, you see people's faces. And your response to that can draw people to God. And our role as a leader is to bring glory to God. Because we have embraced the calling. And wherever you are, embrace the calling of God. There was a curse for the leader that did not bring glory to God. And so my encouragement is for you as a congregation, pray for your pastors that they may bring glory to God's name. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And we see a beautiful scene in Revelation where they are 
seeing God, seeing Christ for who they are, for who He is, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And if you dissect that verse, could be we could have a week of meetings on that verse to bring how that brings glory to God's name. The the third point I have here in Malachi, he tells them to bring, I have appointed you, in verse 5, my covenant was with him of life and peace. In other words, to bring life, to bring healing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How long is everlasting? That's a long time. How important is it to bring life to those around us in this chaotic world, in a time of frustration, distrust, We have a message to bring life, to bring hope. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. I think the truth and life come together here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so as leaders, as Believers, men and women, can we teach others how to walk in the Spirit? There's a lot of teaching that was done, do not do this, do not do that. And we have men and women out there that don't know how to live. They know how not to live, but they don't know how to live. Can we teach life in Christ, teach how to walk in the Spirit, how to walk? In Christ. And so he says here to bring life and peace. What better time than we have an opportunity to share life and peace. We have more opportunity than we ever had before. As I walk in the business world and see the chaos and people with distrust. And you bring life and peace. I'll never forget Someone walked into our showroom, and he walked over to my desk, and he said, Wayne, I just enjoy coming in here. Your men behind the counter there, there's something refreshing about walking in here. There's life here. There's a peace here. Are our lives portraying that, especially as leaders? Psalm 37, 37, mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. How does that work out in my life today, tomorrow? That of being a perfect man, that of being upright. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. Psalm 119, great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing shall 
offend them. There's something about having peace and loving the law of God, walking in His statues, that doesn't bring offense, but it brings peace. Luke 1, to Christ's words, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. John 14, we're left with a spirit. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Don't let your heart be troubled. There's something about a troubled heart. There's something about being afraid. There's something about that trust issue. Do I trust God for tomorrow? And there's something about a, in leadership position, something about giving it over to God and having that peace because I trust God. I have cried out to God more than ever. God, I don't know what I'm doing. Guide me. Give me that peace. And there's something about resting in God. In verse 5, there's something there about standing in awe. That of fearing God as we stand in awe of His name. You know, the question came up as I read here some time ago and heard again last evening about where is my focus when I pray and talk to God? Often when I come in prayer, God, here it is. And I pour out my troubles and my problems. And there's something about when I start a prayer that way, that my problems only get bigger. And they seem a lot bigger than what they are. And somehow God gets smaller. Let's turn that around. So as I come to God in prayer, and I thank God for His goodness, for His greatness, and I see who God really is, those problems become a lot smaller. And they are put into their proportion. If we look at an example in Acts 4, as the disciples were released from prison, they were threatened by the rulers. But they cry out to God in Acts 4.24. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them is. And then they come down verse 29 and they say, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness that we may speak thy word. They approach those threatenings, first of all, with who God is. And then they turned around, God help us with this. And it's interesting in the following verses how God multiplied the multitude there and the believers were multiplied. 
He talks about here in verse 6. The sixth point that I have here is the law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity was not found in his lips. Again, the messenger of God having truth in verse 7. Keeping knowledge. Seeking the law. Having the message of the Lord. And how do I preach and teach the message of God if I don't hear, if I don't know who God is and His Word. The one that I think is very important and applicable to all of us, Malachi, Malachi 2.6, He walked with me in peace and equity and did turn many away from iniquity. Do you see the testimony there? He walked with me. Did turn many away from iniquity. Enoch and Abraham walked with God. There's something about walking with God. Compared to verse 8 where it says, But ye are departed out of the way, ye have caused many to stumble. In other words, you walked your own way and you have caused many to stumble. And so let's come back to that of walking with Christ in peace, in wellness, in happiness, in health. There's something about safety and rest in that. You know, what, it, what is peace? It is found in a person. It is found in Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace. It talks about walking in equity. There's something about walking on an even place, walking in uprightness with God. There's something about walking and seeing God. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. That is such a beautiful scene. Someday, we shall see God. When He shall appear, we shall be like Him, because we're going to see Him as He is. My question is, can that start today? How do I see God? And if I see God for who He is, won't I be like Him? Can I see Him for who He is? So often I have put that verse in the future, but I think it applies to a beginning of today, of seeing Christ and being like Him because I walk with Him. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Is there a reason that I'm not seeing God? According to this verse, if there is not holiness in my life, I can't see the Lord. And I think that's applicable today already. And as I think of holiness, I think of being set apart for God exclusively. 
We're not sharing time with God on weekends or certain evenings. But we're all in. That is holiness. And that is when we shall see God. And because we see Him, we're going to start acting like Him. As leaders, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we have a picture of that? So am I sharing time with God? Or am I all in? Do I really see Him? As I walk with Him. There's a relationship here with a master that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'm convinced in our lives, we're faced with things that we cannot handle. Because God wants us to cry out to Him. I want to take care of that, Wayne. It's not for you to handle. It is for me to see the greatness of God and how little I actually am. I can't solve the problems. But I cry to God and He's there. You know, what do we expect? In John 5, 19, this is Jesus' words. Then Jesus answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Who do I think I am? If I think I can handle this. If Jesus' own words are, I can do nothing without the Father. And so I'm encouraging us to walk with God. Learn to trust God. 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. An invitation from John to walk in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And then verse 7 of 1 John 1, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And I think we forget the rest of the passage. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. There's something going on in this verse. Our view of salvation and our view of church is impacted by this verse. There is something about walking in Christ, walking with Christ, or walking in the Spirit here in this passage, having fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us. It's not a once and done thing. In our churches... Across the nation, too often, our view of salvation is that I gave my heart to God when I was 12, 14, 16, you name it. And now everything should be fine. And then all of a sudden I'm in church and something comes up within me. That flesh in me says, 
I thought I'm saved. This isn't supposed to be happening. I'm in a congregation or church. This doesn't happen in church. Why is church so messy? It is because we're together in fellowship and Christ is cleansing us. The word, the cleansing there, the ETH, there's a continual process happening. And so we're finding that cleansing because we're in fellowship together. And I have learned as a leader, as I watch older, middle-aged men and women, all of a sudden, where did this come from? Something that happened back when I was 10 or 12. And how the impact that it makes on them is so sad. And yet, there's something exciting about that. Because Christ is cleansing them. And so, do we get this? That walking in fellowship, there is a cleansing effect. And we find that in our brotherhood. We find that in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is a journey of sanctification as we walk in the light. And so we begin to ask ourselves as we respond to things. And we see, Wayne, that wasn't right. I responded in the flesh. Why did I do that? The fellowship of believers in Christ is cleansing this part of the flesh. And I look at my life in the last five years and see the drastic change in my personal life. I wonder what it's going to be like in five years from now. I get pretty excited about that as I see God working in the church, in our lives. I would rather see the mess than to see hidden sin and people walking around like it's all right when it isn't. And so do we allow, as we walk in the, flesh, as we walk in the Spirit, that sanctification, finally there are people pouring out their selves, their pride, their sin, they are finally giving up. And I think that is music to the ears of Christ as he hears people crying out and confessing what is going on in their lives. They are finally getting it because of the influence of the fellowship. And there is something about that cleansing will happen until eternity. And so as we walk with Christ, we receive the forgiveness of God. There is something about forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. To give forgiveness is a divine act. No other virtue requires such a great sacrifice of self. Unforgiveness is being controlled by the hurts of the one that hurt me. No, we can't forget about the one that hurt us. But there's a difference as we forgive and give it over to God that we don't carry that burden of hurt anymore. Trust needs to be earned. There is a difference between trust and forgiveness. 
There is something about an unconditional love that God has given us. The reason I can't love my brothers and sisters may be because I have not received God's love in my life. Self-centeredness keeps us from enjoying church. Self-sacrifice and unconditional love is a key to enjoying church to its fullness. Malachi 2.10, it talks about the relationships. He asks the question, have we not all one Father? Have not one God created us? You know, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty brilliant when he called all the leaders together and he wanted them to worship one idol, one God. I think Nebuchadnezzar saw if he could get all the people to worship one God, he would be able to pull the people together. My question is in our churches, how many gods are we serving? Are we serving the same Lord? How many gods are living in my life? I preached already about the idolatry of family, the idolatry of ministry, the idolatry of business, of sports, self-pride, immorality. Am I serving one Lord? If all of us would serve one Lord, I don't think we'd have a problem in binding together in fellowship with God. He talks about the relationship with brothers here in Malachi. And that includes having difficult conversations. That includes sacrifice. That includes love. That includes earning trust in the brotherhood. That includes consistent lifestyle. That includes good communication and what is going on. It includes in knowing each other. Matthew 24, 10 talks about, and they, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. And he brings, in verse 12, brings the reason for that. Because iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. The reason that I am offended in my brother or sister, the reason that I betray my brother and sister is because the love has waxed cold. And as a leader, I need to remind myself of the love of Christ. And... He doesn't stop here. Malachi, he talks about marriages. He talks about God not hearing their prayers because of how they dealt with their wife. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it talks about men's prayers being hindered because of how they deal with their wife. As leaders, my relationship with my wife and my family affects my prayers. And if it affects my prayers, how does that affect the congregation and the spiritual warfare and the battle that we're in? A couple of quick points that I want to narrow down here as leaders. In Ephesians 4.3, he talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He doesn't say create unity. The Spirit created unity in believers. 
He is telling leaders, he is telling all of us to endeavor. That means to hurry up and keep the unity of the Spirit. You know, as an overseer, we have people in our congregation that make some really strong statements over here. At the same time, there are some others making really strong statements over here. And so this becomes real to keep the unity of the Spirit. Are we speaking out of flesh? Are we speaking so strongly that we can't hear others speak? And we forget, as we look at these two strong statements, who's right and who's wrong? Well, guess what? They might both be right and they might both be wrong. Can we find ourselves in the middle? Now, I know in Scripture and doctrine there is a right and wrong, but so often in the church we divide, we become divisive over our opinions, and they are so stated so strongly that both sides are probably both right, but they're both wrong too. Can we pull that together in the spirit of unity? You know, as we look at unity, it manifests its wholeness of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And I think of, when I think of unity, I think of the Trinity. I think God is one in purpose, and yet He has three expressions. Three persons who perform unique functions. Three persons but one God. There's no competition between the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. There's no power struggle between Jesus Christ and the Father. God is love. They always were in relationship together. You know, we sing the song, love will bring us all together by and by. Why can't love bring us all together now? And so I think as we get a picture of the Trinity, you know, sometimes I'm not sure if it's the Holy Spirit or if it's Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'm not sure if it's the usher or the pastor. There's no competition. There's no power struggle here. And as I think of the role of the leadership, we could talk about team, partnership. There again, as we look at Christ and the Father, but as we think of overseer, there's something about a vision of eternity. There's a vision that we understand that there is a lake of fire that is forever. And that's why we need to make some decisions and some disciplines that we do. Because we see that, yes, there is a temporary hell, but in the end, in Revelation 20, hell is cast into the lake of fire we see a new heaven, a new Jerusalem. I used to be a little disappointed that it was only so big. Until I saw the verse that the gates are wide open. And all of a sudden, the new heaven and the new earth, as we look at the future, what is going to be in heaven? As we look at the colors and the glory of heaven, and we see they're light years away. My, what grand tour that will be. We want to all get there. 
And how we live today affects, I believe, our position in eternity. I didn't like that term, our positions in eternity, because I didn't like the competition of positions. And yet, when I look at the Trinity, there is no competition. Let's give it our all. We are serving Christ. My last point here, I want to give an encouragement to the congregation here. There's going to be changes. So I'm encouraging you, and in Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. What does that do for your life when you encourage each other daily? What does that do for your congregation and what does that do for yourself? We have so much going for us. We have the Holy Spirit and Christ interceding for us. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. Let's not take that side. We have an intercession in Romans 8. It talks about the Spirit itself maketh intercession for, for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Later on in that passage, we see Christ at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Isn't that beautiful? Where are we going? We have and the Spirit of God, we have His Son praying for us, interceding for us. Doesn't that give you boldness and power as you walk in the Spirit? In the mid-90s, This church was struggling. As a young man, I didn't trust anyone. I didn't know what was up, what was down. I remember being at a meeting, sitting beside a man at the end of the message. At the end of the meeting, he said, we're going to have a church split. We're going to divide. Bless that brother. He's not living anymore, but he did... He was still here in the church a few years back, and he was a good friend of mine. I, was, I went home confused. I'll never forget, I went to prayer meeting, and when I heard other men pray, their sincere desire to serve God, for the church to bring glory to God, there's something broken me that morning. That prayer meeting is still going every Wednesday morning. I remember sitting at the table with older men asking questions. They have impacted my life. That prayer meeting changed my life. Prayer. Pray together. Walk in the Spirit. I encourage you to realize that the Spirit of God and now, Jesus Christ are praying, are interceding for you. 
And as you look forward to an ordination, desire and pray for an overseer that loves the Word of God, that walks with God, that brings glory to His name. Wherever you are, accept God's calling with joy. I think if we get a picture of God, the service of God is so great. Any one of us would drop and go serve for a king. We would tell everybody, we would go all out. We are serving the Creator. Be secure in where He called you. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Shall we stand for prayer? God, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the instructions of your word. I thank you for this congregation here at Weavertown. I pray that you would be near to each one here. I pray that they would learn to walk with you and allow your spirit to control their lives. God, help us to get rid of that flesh in us. Help us to allow you to continue to cleanse us. And God, may we walk in holiness that we may see who you are. May your name be honored and glorified here in the lives of each one this week. In Jesus' name, amen.